Before we get into God's word this morning, let's go to the Lord for a time of prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you have brought us here this morning with the ability to seek your face and to hear from you, from your word. And we know there is much suffering going on in the world, there's much suffering going on in our own lives. We continue to pray for the mass exodus of the refugees under oppression and war. And I just ask as they are are traveling that you would keep uh, them safe, that you would uh, mobilize the church locally and globally to continue to love and welcome and serve uh, them in the name of Jesus. We pray also for our own city as this week has been uh, a greater increase in violence than has existed um, even in a decade. And we continue to pray. Uh, I pray for my uh, brothers and sisters in the and many of the churches in the area who have been affected by this violence, that today there's great mourning, and we mourn with our brothers and sisters, and we just ask for mercy and grace. And we also just ask uh, what's going on in our own lives. There is, there is much suffering even in here in ways that we do not even understand or even know about. We may smile, we may have dressed nice today, but there is great pain in our hearts and our lives, and we just ask that you administer to us as we get into your word this morning May it come alive and speak to us in a unique way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to show you something. I wonder if you've ever seen this before. Watch, okay? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open it up and see all the people. When I was little... I was amazed by that. (laughs) And during church, I would do that over and over again during the preaching because I was bored, and I would just do that. And and about when I first started to do it, I didn't understand it. And so I would go, this is the church. This is a steeple. Open it up. Where are all the people? (laughs) I just didn't know how it worked like that. And I was doing... and, And maybe... I'm just wondering, some of you may have been going to church your whole life, you're new to church, you're checking it out, and you just don't know what church is about, how it's supposed to work, what, is, what makes a legit church, what is not a legit church, what are we supposed to be doing? What we do at this church is we preach through books of the Bible. We preach through an Old Testament book, then New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. Last week, you finished up 1 Samuel. In a few weeks, we'll hit James. But for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the church. We do not normally preach like this. We train future preachers not to preach like this. We go through books of the Bible. But for the next three weeks, we were going to focus on a series that we are calling Stained Glass. It's focusing on the church. And stained glass, obviously, when you go into the old historic churches, you will see stained glass. But there's also more of a spiritual image that each of you, if you're a believer in Jesus, make up a piece of a stained glass. And when you see a piece of a stained glass, it's not very impressive. But when you put us all together and you shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's glorious. And over the next three weeks, we're going to start by looking at the church universal, the church worldwide. 
And then we're going to bring it in a little. We're going to talk about our church, our local church. What is the ethos of this church? And the last week, we're going to focus more on you living as the church in our world today. But I want to start by us considering the church universal, the church worldwide. What are elements that make a legit church? A few weeks ago, I was meeting with uh, one of our missionaries to Uganda, and he lives in a, a very remote part of Uganda. Jeff Hosan's his name. He says there's about 20 churches in his region. If you went to those churches in Uganda, and if they were truly a church, biblical church, then they would have many similarities in the church in Uganda that you would have in the church in China to the church in, in South America and the church here in Evanston. If it is a legit church, there are going to be certain elements that you will see in each of those biblical churches. And this morning, I want to say, what are those elements? If I went out to a field and I, I saw some people running around with helmets on, and with cleats, and with shoulder pads, and they had a brown ball, uh, you would conclude that that is indeed a football team. And if they were wearing the purple, you would conclude that that team just pulled off a great upset. It would be an element of... You have to know your audience when you preach, by the way. So, so you got to know what are the elements that make a legit church. Now, these have traditionally been expressed in the terminology, uh, the marks of the church. Some say there are two marks of the church, five marks of the church, nine marks of the church. Well, I'm going to stick this morning by looking at seven marks of the church. I believe that these seven marks should indeed be in every biblical church. So I know a lot of you are out of town. I know some of you are new. You're trying to find a new church. I'm not saying pick this church. I'm saying pick a church that has these seven marks, some, some semblance of these seven marks. And many of you are going to leave this church and you're going to go all around the world. Look for a church that has these seven marks. I'm not trying to say these are, these are super special, we're awesome and unique. No, these are the seven marks you want to find in any biblical church worldwide. So let's go ahead and start with mark number one. Number one, conviction that the Bible is God's word. As you venture around the world, and if it's a true church, it's going to believe and teach that the Bible is the word of God. Do not assume that just because it's a church building that it believes and teaches the Bible. And I'm not being negative and I'm not being mean, but you can walk out of our doors and you will see three church buildings. One of those three actually believes and teaches the Bible. The other two do not. Just because it's a church doesn't mean it actually believes and teaches the Bible. So you want to find a gathering of people, house church, meet in a building that believe and teach the Bible is the word of God. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So the true church actually believes that when they pick up the Bible, it is the word of God. It speaks about God being creator, one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The incarnation of Jesus really happened. The resurrection really happened. Not a myth. 
If a church denies these foundational truths, they are not a church. They are not a biblical church. They may call themselves one, but they are not. You want the Bible to inform your teaching. You want the Bible to inform your worship songs and your gatherings together. But I would say that just believing the doctrines, in a sense, is not enough. But you also have to teach them. And to teach them in a sense that provokes action. For example, once again, our verse in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Which means I'm not just going to throw out doctrines. I'm just not going to throw out the truth. You want to go to a church that throws out the truth and then gets in your business tries to correct you, tries to lovingly encourage you and rebuke you, not in an arrogant, proud way, but you want to find a church where they teach the word and then they are actually trying to do the word. Not perfectly. There's absolutely no perfect church, but we want to believe the word and teach the word and see that disciples are made. Now, there's a variety of ways that churches can do this, but I just want to kind of break for a moment and, and tell you what's coming up over the next month the way that we're trying to encourage you with the word to believe it, to take it in, and it change your head, heart, and hands. Uh, Next week, we're starting a theology class. We had it going over the summer. In fact, my favorite book next to the Bible is Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. This book is the Cliff Notes. If you don't want to read the big book, come check out the Cliff Notes. This class is great. We had it over the summer. It's very, very encouraging. It gets us into the Word of God. Something else we have coming up in the next few weeks is the book of James. We're going to be diving in. And if you've ever read the book of James before, it just doesn't want you to hear the Word, but it also wants you to do the Word. So we want to believe it and hear it, and we want to put it into action. And the last thing we have coming up on October 1st is something I've been working on for about 11 months. It's something we're calling Hidden Within. And it's the 40-Day Scripture Memory Project. Been working on it for a long time. It's a 40 days of devotional. And after 40 days, you will have memorized over 10 verses and and attempted to learn how to put them into action. We have an app developed. We'll have emails developed. We'll have it all together ready to roll by October 1st. Because we want to be a church that studies the Word and actually lets it impact our hearts so that it plays out in our actions. So find a church that believes the Word of God is legit. Mark number two. Mark number two is a church that is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A church can teach the Bible... Got to be careful with what that means. Are they teaching it rooted in the gospel? I'm sharing a lot of verses with you today, so I'm sorry. We we usually stay in one text, but this morning we're acting like the Baptists. We're just jumping around all different texts. So let's go with 1 Corinthians 15. Really long text here. Let me read it to you. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If a church is a legit church, they're going to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we say the gospel, we believe that Jesus actually came down, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, 
died in the place of sinners. And now the call is to repent of your sin, put your faith in Jesus, and you will be accepted by the Father to live with him forever. We want to be a church that is, that is rooted and grounded in the gospel. And this is a gospel of grace, not by works. For example, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. A church is truly the church that teaches and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, that sinful humans can be saved and reconciled to God through faith and Christ alone. You can find this gospel in Presbyterian churches, Baptist churches, Methodist churches, independent churches. I'm not saying every single church in those denominations, and so I'm not trying to splice and dice which church has it and which individual church does not. So I'm not trying to give you a denominational message today, but I want you to know this. If a church teaches many ways to go to heaven... That is not a legit church. It's just not. I'm not trying to say my particular brand. If they're teaching there's different ways to get to heaven besides Jesus, that is not a legit church. If a church is teaching that every single human being will go to heaven one day, that all are saved, that is not a legit church because that is not a biblical church. That's the church that's teaching something else. And if a church teaches that we have to do good works to be saved, that's not a legit church. It's just not. Read the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is rebuking people left and right for that heresy. We are saved by grace alone and the finished work of Christ alone. And when we start adding and throwing other stuff in there, that is not a biblical and legit church. So let's kind of put it together. The mark of a true church Wherever you go around the world, they're going to hold to the Bible, try to preach it, believe it, and live it, not perfectly, and they're going to root it in Jesus Christ. Now we're not done. Mark number three. Mark number three. A commitment to loving the community of believers. Jesus indicates that a distinguishing mark, uh, Ted referred to it uh, earlier, it says, by this, in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Bible's full of these love one another commands. Romans twelve ten, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans twelve sixteen, live in harmony with one another. Romans fifteen seven, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Galatians five thirteen. Through love, serve one another. Ephesians 4, 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. It's all over the place. And if you've been going to church a long time, I'm, I'm, you'll sense my exasperation here in a moment. Most of you agree. It's okay. That's what the church, we're supposed to, we're supposed to love one another. Not perfectly, but we're supposed to love one another. Now, this, is, well, this, is my, this is kind of something I really want to talk about. I feel like it's a problem in our generation this generation, or whatever you want to say above me, below me, what, this is a problem. We all agree that we should love one another. And the only way that you can love one another, are you with me? Is if you're actually around one another. What I have noticed, and I have statistics to back it up, 
And I'm not even going to look at other churches. I'm going to talk about our. Most of you probably attend church two times a month. Some of you just once a month. And I understand you're world travelers. And I understand you got a lot going. I get that. But if you're not here, if you're not in your ethos, you can't be loved. And you can't give love. And I know you can watch it online all day long. And I'm not dogging those of you who are watching it right now online. (laughs) But you better get back here fast. We need to be around one another to love one another. Look at your last year of church attendance, small group, ethos. Look, just look at it. Am I talking to you? I'm talking to a lot of you. If you truly believe we should love one another, you have to be around one another. And this is not just me talking. Let me get some verses to back it up. Here we go. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And here it is. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. (laughs) Jesus is coming back. And until he does, we must have this urgency to be together. Look at your schedule. Rearrange it. I understand. I understand. Not every week you can be here, but come on. We've got to do better about being around one another. And not just in this setting, but also in our ethos communities. Because that is how we love each other and receive love and give it. It's in our ethos communities. I just, I just want to say, I've, I've been here for uh, several years, and I just want to boast about the love that I have received uh, from people in this church. I, I had a problem recently, and I've been sharing a lot of my problems recently, but this one I really want to share. Um, one of my greatest fears in life that some of you know, who know me really intimately, intimate, I'll share it with you, everybody here, is I'm really scared of bees. I just have a fear of bees. When I was young, a lot of them stung me and freaked me out. And so I just hate bees. And recently, I had a bee problem, and I was trying to deal with it myself. And so uh, I'm really freaked by bees. I don't want them touching me or getting near to me. And so I dressed up in my very attractive beehive suit. Can I see that? It looks... Do we have that picture of that? Oh, there I am. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My whole body is covered. There's my paintball mask on and my winter biking gloves. And so I'm trying to deal with the bees on my own. And there's hundreds of them. And, and I, I couldn't figure, I couldn't kill, I couldn't get rid of them. And so I called my good friend, Gary Davis. I said, Gary, can you come and help me with the bees? And Gary came over basically not wearing any gear. And um, <laughs> he came over several times because these bees were serious. He, he cocked up the hole. The bees ate through the cock. Uh, he cemented it up, and he fixed the bee problem. And I, and I was so grateful for him. And, and it's not just that. Gary has been a friend over the years who has helped me in my marriage. Gary has been a friend over the years who has helped me uh, with my kids, he and his wife, Pam. And for those of you thinking that that's just pastoral privilege, it's not. Because you have stories, too, of your brothers and sisters serving you and helping you and loving you. But one thing I want to make sure that you really know is that if you find yourself in a church and people are serving you and loving you, it doesn't mean that your life is going to get all fixed. It's not mean that everything's going to get better. Because I just want to tell you, Gary fixed that hole. And over the last week, 
those bees, 200 of them would come inside my house. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> so does it, not everything gets fixed, right? But Gary was still there encouraging me to kill the bees afterwards. So it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to find a perfect church. But people will walk with you and encourage you and love you. You're going to find a church that's doing that. All right, the fourth mark. This is not the fun one. This is not fun at all. Submission to church accountability. No one likes that, right? We just want to kind of do what we want to do. But if a church is truly functioning as a church, they'll have some form of accountability and even has a form of discipline. I want, to, I want to say something real quick. One of the things that distinguishes the church from the world is not that the, the world is uh, uh, sinners and then the church people are not sinners. No, here's, here's what distinguishes the sinner aspect of the world and the church. The, the, the world are sinners, but the church are repentant sinners. We repent. We realize when things aren't right, we're like, I want to repent of that. I want to receive forgiveness in Jesus. So that's, that's the distinction between us and the world. We're repentant sinners, but sometimes we're slow to repent. And sometimes we don't see things that are going on in our lives. We need others to speak the truth. And, and sometimes it's just a little bit of straying into sin, and sometimes it's just flat-out rebellion against God. Uh, consider these verses, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that's kind of someone strays a little bit. We want to go tell them and bring them back. But sometimes there can be severe strayings. For example, in James, we'll see this one in 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, a lot of this rebuking and rescuing, it happens on a one-to-one basis. Some of you have come from churches that are very heavy-handed, and they're ready to do church discipline on everything. And if you see someone doing something foolish, you'll come to one of the elders, and you'll want to gather the church and do church discipline right away. No, no. Most of the rebuking, and the, it happens one-on-one. Well, we're saying, hey, brother, sister, man, you're kind of getting off there. I want to pray for you. And they're like, oh, yeah, thank you. And, and it's just settled. That's the way most of it will happen. It'll happen in ethos communities. It'll happen over meals. It's not going to be dramatic. We're not going to bring it before the church. It's going to be this informal, in each other's lives, that daily rebuking and encouraging to follow Jesus. But occasionally, it rises to the level where the church, the whole church, uh, needs to be involved. Uh, At times, this can be because of heretical doctrines, which we have experienced, or it can be issues of personal sin, which we've experienced as well. There is a passage, this is one that I could share some others. It's it's a lengthy one. Let me go ahead and read it to you for those of you who are new to the church. It's in the book of Matthew 18. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And he refuses to listen even to the church. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So when the sin is so pervasive that it rises above the individual level or even beyond a small group level to the congregational level, then this church discipline needs to be enacted. And that will often happen uh, for us at our membership meetings. 
Now, for those of you who are new to this idea of church discipline, you think, man, that, that's so negative. It's, it's negative. I just want to be part of a church where people aren't in my business. But if you're part of a church like that, that's not very loving. That's not very caring, not very kind. Because there are benefits to church discipline. Let me share with you five of them. Some five positive effects of church discipline. Number one, it's for the individual being disciplined. If you're going astray and you're about to ruin your life, don't you want someone to help you, to save you? That's the benefit of church discipline. Number two, for other Christians as they see the danger of sin. If I see you ruining your life and I see the effects of what is happening, that's going to give me pause if I want to go down that path. And when I see that brought to the church, it really gives me pause. Number three, for the health of the church as a whole. We want to be a healthy church, not a perfect church. We are a church full of sinners, but we want to be a church full of repentant sinners who are struggling and working our way and progressing in holiness. Number four, for the corporate witness of the church. This is very key, especially in the media right now, as you see Christians being exposed publicly, and you kind of wonder, what was going on in their church? Well, we want the church to be dealing with sins so we reflect to society that we are not perfect, but we are repentant sinners. And number five, for the glory of God as we reflect his holiness. The whole process of church discipline is reflecting the holiness of God and bringing glory to him. And let me just tell you, I could tell you all the negative examples. I can tell you the brothers and sisters that we have rebuked that have not repented and have gone on to ruin their lives. I can tell you those stories. Some of you know those stories. You've seen it. But I can also tell you stories of repentant brothers and sisters standing before the congregation repenting, standing before the congregation and saying, you know what, I have consequences. One of my consequences may be jail time, but I'm repentant. And the church gathering around them to love them and encourage them to build them up. When you're looking for a church, find a church that has that accountability and even has that church discipline. I think it's a mark of a true biblical church. Number five, this is a big deal, but I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Um, The structure of leadership from the Bible. Maybe you've been a part of a church before where they're they're running their leadership like a, a corporation or a school board. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear on the structure of leadership, but it spends a lot more time talking about the character qualifications. Now, I'm not going to get into all the nitty-gritty of the churches and their authority structure, because there is some freedom in the way that churches set up their structure, governmental structure, under the Word of God. But a true church will for sure hone in on the character issues. Now, let me speak to you, those of you who are new. There's some of you who are new to our church. You're new to this whole church thing. You're like, what is leadership? Okay, let me me just tell you how how it's set up. You ready for this? I'm not in charge. Just because I preach and talk a lot doesn't mean I'm in charge. Perhaps you've been to those churches or the pastor's the man. I'm not the man. We are led at our church by something called a plurality of elders. I am one of the elders. And the elders lead in conjunction with the congregation. There's like a connection there. And we also have other servant leaders called deacons. This is what the elders do. The primary function of an elder is to pray and teach. We pray for you, and we teach the Word of God. 
And we do that to protect sound doctrine, protect from error. But we also teach and pray for you because we want to shepherd your soul. Now, there's a lot of things that us as elders could be doing, but our focus is prayer, word of God. We have another group of leaders called deacons, deaconess, men and women who, who serve in a variety of functions of the church. They're the ones that are kind of the hands and the feet of the church. For example, we have deacons taking care of the details of the finances, our security team, communications, graphic design, communion setup, lobby setup, volunteer mobilization such as usher teams, missions committee chair, website development, youth group, special events, photography, worship, and production. So you want to put this all together. You have the elders. Their primary function is teaching and praying, which leads to shepherding you. And the deacons are the servants kind of on the ground carrying out a variety of functions to serve the congregation. But the main thing is the character qualifications of the elders and even the character qualifications of the deacons. That is the most important. Here's a little snippet from the elder qualifications. Maybe you've never seen this before. Here we go. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer or an elder must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? We want to take these character qualifications very seriously. If you've been in a variety of churches, maybe they don't. But we want to take them seriously. And we ask you as our brothers and sisters... When you look out on what's happening in the culture today, what's being exposed into the media, we talked about it last week, is you see a lot of pastors and leaders in churches falling into sin, whether it be immorality, financial issues. And you may think there's no way that the pastors, the elders of this church could ever do any of that, and you are flat out wrong. As pastor here along with the other pastors and staff and the elders, none of us think that we are so arrogant that we cannot succumb to any of those sins. Be careful. He, if you think you stand firm, be careful lest you fall. So we need you as a congregation praying for us as we do a daily battle against sin because we want to continue to walk with Jesus with you and to lead you. Let's look at the next one. Number one, we're almost done. Number six is the practice of ordinances. Now, as you can tell, there's a lot of distinguishing features here of the church from, say, uh, a Bible study. For example, BSF. I love BSF. You guys do Bible study fellowship. Not a church, right? It's a Bible study. I love parachurch organizations, right? They're great. We support them. We encourage them. But they're not a church because there are, the, there are distinguishing features that are lacking. Now, we partner with them. They're extension of the church. There's a lot of positive things. And, and once, but there are distinction here because, you know, you don't have elders. You don't have church discipline. And here, you generally don't have communion and the Lord's Supper. So communion, the Lord's Supper, and added with that is baptism. 
These are some distinctive ordinances that you will find in the church. And what I mean by ordinances, uh, I mean, that's a that word, you, you don't have to use it. But we basically mean those things that we're supposed to do as a church because Jesus said, keep on doing them. Keep on doing them. And one of the things he told us to keep on doing is that we, we are to keep on doing baptism. We believe in baptism. The, the, the command is believe and be baptized. And baptism doesn't save anybody, but it's a picture that you are already saved. When you take a person and they go under the water, it's symbolic that they have already died with Christ. Their sins have been washed away, and they come up out of the water to walk in the newness of life. We believe in something called believer's baptism, that you believe in Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus, you should be baptized. It's the easiest command in the Bible. I'm not sure there's an easier command in the Bible. Be baptized. Be baptized. Now, who am I talking to who has not been baptized? I hope you feel convicted right now to obey the easiest command in the Bible. And I want to encourage you, get baptized. It's an obedience issue. And I want to put even a a quicker encouragement. Get baptized now. While it's warm out, <laughs> we can go down to the beach over the next few weeks. I'm serious. Come see me. Come see Pastor John. His email's in the bulletin. We'll get things worked out. We'll go down to the beach, and we'll, we'll get it over with, all right? It'll be a great time of celebration. Don't wait till January, and you get all convicted then, because I'll come out there, and I'll take you on the ice, cut a hole, and lower you down. <laughs> Let's get this done now. Immediate obedience. But there's also baptism. Another ordinance is the Lord's Supper or communion. You see the tables over here. We're going to, uh, tables back there, back there. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper is, is a, a memorial. It's where we are remembering what Jesus has done for us. We have the bread representing his body and the wine, in our case, grape juice, representing his blood spilled out. And when we, when we take it, we're remembering his death and resurrection. And we're proclaiming his death until he comes again. And we're actually going to do that here in a little bit. But these are two distinctive ordinances that you will find in a true church. And you'll see these all around the world in the true biblical churches. Well, the last one is the pursuit of evangelism and mercy. A true mark of a church is they will be uh, wanting to share their faith and wanting to care for those who are suffering. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the true biblical church doesn't want the gospel to terminate on themselves. They want to go out around the world and send people around the world to the nations. Uh, We have missionaries in Asia and Africa and the Middle East and South America, but we also want to function as missionaries in our own city. And we also want to function as missionaries in our nation as we are, I think it's very important to plant churches. There's a book by J.D. Greer on church planting. It's called, let me picture it for you, it's called Gaining by Losing. And the idea is that when Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission, he revealed that, that the key to reaching the world with the gospel was, was not in gathering but in sending. And, and the true measure of success for church should be its sending capacity and not its seeding capacity. 
So it's a big deal for us. We want to plant churches. And over the, the last five years, we, we planted a church up in St. Paul, Minnesota. We, we planted a church here in Rogers Park. We, we planted a church in Gainesville, Florida. And, and even right now, we have two church planters, potential church planters, floating around among you who are assessing and just kind of checking out and praying that maybe, maybe they'll lead our, our next church plant. So we want to continue to get this gospel out of here and, and spread it around the world. At the same time, we want to be a church that, that cares for those who are suffering, who are, who are afflicted. Uh, Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I believe a true mark of a church is going to be caring for those who are suffering. And most of this is going to happen one-on-one as you're caring for your friends, you're loving your neighbors, you're caring for those in your life at school who are suffering and you're bringing them uh, physical needs, you're helping them uh, share the gospel, whatever they need, you're you're caring for someone who's suffering. But in a church a size like ours, it's it's always good to kind of have those more organized mercy ministries. And there's so many of you, so many passions. We could have a hundred different mercy ministries, but we try to focus in on three. Three kind of outside organizations that, that work with us, that propel us to show mercy to those in our community who are vulnerable at times or even going through some deep suffering. One of the groups that you'll hear from in the coming weeks is a group called Senior Connections, where there are senior citizens in the community and that we pair you with to go visit them and love them and encourage them. And many of you are involved in it. It's it's really a simple, great ministry to show mercy and grace. Another ministry we use is called Project SOAR, where um, college students mentor kids in our community who are vulnerable and at risk, and you encourage them, you build them up, you play with them, you tutor them, and many of you have done Project SOAR. And the last ministry we partner with is Safe Families. On a variety of kids and children and, and parents uh, getting into difficult times or maybe more vulnerable times, we want to come alongside that family, maybe caring for their child for a while, helping, helping them out for a while. It's called Safe Families. All three of these organizations you'll be hearing from in the coming weeks on how you can get involved in showing mercy and grace to those who are going through a hard time within our community. So you kind of put all those seven together, and, and I, just, I just want you to know, as, as you start to seek a church this next year, or as you branch out in life looking for a church, these marks are very important. But keep in mind, no church is perfect. No matter how pretty the stained glass may look, we're, we're living in a stained world, and things can get dirty, even in the church. That's why I really want to encourage you to be a part of a church that keeps coming back to the Bible It keeps coming back to the gospel. A church that tries to walk in humility and say we may be wrong on this, we need to be corrected on this, we may need to reform. And that's kind of, that's what the heart of our church. We are not a perfect church. We have issues. If you want a church without issues, don't come to this one. I hear there's one in heaven, but there's not a perfect church. But just keep in mind that Christ loves the church. He loves the church. In fact, the church is called his bride. He loves his bride so much that he died for his bride. Now, I know some of you say that you love Jesus, and I believe you truly love Jesus. You say you love Jesus, but you just have a hard time with the church. Do you understand what you're saying? 
it's, it's like, it'd be like you coming up to me and saying, you know, Jason, I really like you, but I can't stand your wife. Do you want to fight? <laughs> you see? I love Jesus. I don't like the church. That's his bride. Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. He wants you to be a part of the church, to jump in. And it is messy, but his grace and his mercy is there. And by God's grace, may we love the church the way he loves the church and serve the church and be encouraged by the church, all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we we really want to continue to come to a better understanding of what's going on in the church. What is it you're calling us to do? What have you redeemed us for? We are your bride, Jesus. We want to live as your bride. And I know people are coming here from all over the world, many different ideas of the church all over the states here, just beginning this fall, and they're trying to pick a church. May you give them wisdom and discernment and direction. May they root themselves in the true church described in your Bible and help us, Lord, at EBF, to conform ourselves and our fallen ways more and more to what you're talking about in the Bible. And I pray for that woman in here or that man in here specifically who has felt maybe burned by the church in the past. They've had a terrible church experience where the leadership or even someone else has really burned them and hurt them. Lord, would you heal them? Would you even give them uh, healing in this church right here where they can work through some issues and the pain they've experienced in the past or maybe one day they can indeed love the church again as you do. And may you continue to bring us together and grow us together in unity as we mature in your son Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.